Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast, Season 4. Today, I'm on with Aaron Clymer. Aaron, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, great to be on here. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Uh, Aaron Clymer, I'm founder and CEO of Data Clymer, and we help uh, companies implement modern cloud data systems and solve other data problems. Awesome. So, Aaron, tell us more about uh, Data Climber. How did it, how did you get started with it? Yeah, it's a long time coming. I would say I've been in the enterprise software uh, space for my whole career. Um, the last half of it, I would say, about fifteen years or something. I've been in data warehousing, specifically in data um, and data solutions. And uh, I was working in you know corporate America. I, uh, I founded the the data team at Salesforce and built that and ran that for about eight years, um, developed really a methodology around how I would do data in general. Um, so ba basically enabling data-driven decisions across the company and solving the problem of not having enough data quickly to answer quick questions about the business to move on with, with strategy or daily decisions or whatever it is um, by any employee, ideally. So any, you know, hopefully having everybody in your company making data-driven decisions. So solve that problem there. And uh, did it again at another very different company in San Francisco called Pop Sugar, which was B2C and all ad-based revenue and just a different, not a B2B model like Salesforce. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, and then I realized, you know, I'd, I'd really, in 10 years uh, between these two companies, I'd seen two companies. I'd seen two data warehouses, two implementations, two data sets. I wanted to see like a hundred, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to feel like I was a true expert in the area. Um, I wanted to really understand what was out there in terms of the modern cloud, the, da the data stack, the data technology that's out there, because there was a lot of innovation happening for the past. This is this is six, seven years ago, because I started Data Climber about seven years ago now. Um, and, the, and the modern cloud stack was just getting going. Uh, so I decided to form a consulting firm where I knew I could help you know dozens or hundreds of clients eventually through this journey to, to solve their data problems. And uh, here we are today, and it's uh, I'm, I'm just really excited to have done that. I do feel like now, you know, I am a true expert. My company is a, is a deep expert at this, and I just love love it. That's awesome. So I'm curious, what's the difference between the data you're looking at at a B2C company versus a B2B company? Yeah, it's more about, I mean, yeah, data. The kind of data is is very different, um, and the questions you're asking is really what it comes down to, right? You're the business you're in, the business questions you have, the kinds of things you need visibility into are just different. So in B2B, um, you know, first of all, your customer base is a lot smaller just in general, right? Because you're working with companies, not with people. And uh, and there's layers to your customer, right? You've got the, uh, the company overall, you've got the department within the company you're working with, you've got the, 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 the leadership in that department, maybe you've got employees. So the accounts are complicated. And so the definition of a customer is much more complicated than in B2C where it's just you and me and we're, we're customers, you know, so it's a lot easier to think about the customer in a B2C. Um, it, but you also have usually much higher volumes of data in B2C because you're dealing with a lot more customers in general. That's a generalization, right? But so that, there's a, at a high level, those are two different things I can think of. Yeah, it's also, I remember from my time in B2B at IBM, just thinking about the network of buyers that are included in the buying process. So at a B2B company, there's so many more people involved in a purchasing decision, and that makes it so much harder to know 
where to market at the right time and to whom. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, the, the thing that is common though, among uh, all, really all, all companies is if, if there's a product, I mean, most, most companies have a product, whether it's a service, like in my, my business, or it's a an actual product you're selling, um, you want to understand how people are consuming that product, how your customers are, are consuming that product and using it, right? So product usage data, that's something that is pretty universal. One, one aspect of what you always want to measure and understand, you know, in terms of how your customers are, are interacting with your, your product or service. Yeah, I'm curious, um, you started your own company. What was that process like? And why, why did you decide to take the leap? Yeah, I was pretty, uh, pretty surprised myself, actually, that I was so risk averse. It took me so long. You know, I always thought of myself as more of an adventurous, risky person. But when it came down to brass tacks, you know, I was, I was taking my time. I finally talked myself into it when I, I just felt like my career was far enough along and I'd had a lot enough experience um, in, the, in a variety of companies and, uh, and as well as in data and analytics specifically that I felt pretty confident that I could start the company myself and, and be a practitioner. I could do the work myself too. So I didn't have to hire a big team or even anybody really. I just started myself. So that all of those things came together really nicely. The final thing that, that um, fell in place was um, that there was, I, I, I found an avenue just to start, whereas before it was all very theoretical, you know, and when the opportunity presented itself, I just identified, oh, there's an actual opportunity for me to get started. And what that was, was I had built out a modern cloud data warehousing system for pop sugar. Um, and one of the technology vendors that we used in that stack was a late stage startup out of the Bay area as well. It was a business intelligence tool called Looker. And Looker was uh, subsequently purchased by Google. Um, and now it's kind of Google's cloud BI tool. But at the time, it was 150 people. Uh, again, startup, Poxtrivers was a customer, but I was the buyer. Um, and I had rolled it out to about 200 people at the company. We had democratized data to all the employees, if you will, to give them self-service access to data, to answer questions on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I was very familiar with the tool. I really liked it, by the way, too. I just loved the approach they'd taken, it was very, very modern. And to this day, it's still very modern. There's other vendors out there that take a full, you know, full cloud approach essentially, and um, just abstract away all the technical headaches and make it easy for an end user to ask questions of data. So I loved that. Um, I've had a ton of experience with legacy BI tools, which were very clunky, very hard to teach people how to use, still, you know, still not very actually usable. The user experience was horrible. So long story short, I was very impressed with the tool. Um, and it was just the right time for me to, uh, when, you know, when I realized I wanted to just see a lot of implementations and see a lot of different um, data sets, uh, I realized I could go talk to my customer success manager and the sales or account executive at, at Looker that I had worked with for a year and a bunch of other people that I had got to know over the last year, year and a half with them. And I said, I want to be a partner, right? I want to start, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to implement your tool. I want to partner with you. Give me, you know, introduce me to two or three uh, customers who, you know, are struggling and are having problems. And it's not because of the technology. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's something else. So um, they did that and I got my first client within four weeks. So it, was, <laughs> it sounds easy, but, you know, I, then I had to actually do the work. But, you know, we were able to get to be successful with a few clients. Um, and after about four or five months, I was able to generate enough revenue to hire my first employee. And just off we off I went. So it was all bootstrapped. Um, and just grew it uh, organically. 
And what's your perspective on that? If to grow organically and bootstrap it versus to perhaps um, use, uh, you know, a startup accelerator, you know, this is very hot these days for people to just, you know, use a larger organization. What's your take on that? Why didn't you go down that path? You know, I, I think first of all, it was services. That's so a, a little different in services. I think to do that, although I probably could have figured that out. Um, but the fact that I saw a path where I could bootstrap it, I wasn't in a huge hurry. I was more just wanted to experiment with my business model and see if it was going to work. Um, and I like the idea of just being in full control and not really having to answer to anybody about how I wanted to go about, you know, starting this thing and running it. Um, uh, so I don't know, maybe it was, yeah, that's what I did. And that's how I was thinking in retrospect, I, it did work out, I, you know, I mean, I'm glad now that we still don't have right now, at least major investors. Cause again, we can, we can, uh, direct the company any way we want, you know, we want, we were not, we don't feel like we're beholden to, um, to a certain amount, amount of growth or whatever it is. So I, I do like being uh, independent. Did you ever have any, you know, disputes or difficult moments while you were creating your company, you know, sort of what were the biggest challenges that you had to face? There's a book out there. I'll direct people to that. Uh, it's called The Boutique. It's it was it was published of uh, four or five years ago, and it's all about growing and scaling a consulting firm specifically or a pro professional services firm. Um, I only found the book last year, but uh, in retrospect, I've been kind of following that the process that this book lays out. Um, and there's three stages the book identifies. There's the initial kind of growth stage or, or found founding stage. And there's the scale stage and there's maybe an exit, but, um, I, I was able to, uh, you know, grow it myself sort of just, I, I guess it just, it was naturally working until I got to about 10 or 15 people. Um, you know, and then I started to scale myself out, right. I couldn't keep more than 10 or 15 people busy. Um, even, you know, 10 was actually hard. 15 got to be very hard. Uh, I was working 24, seven, seven days a week kind of thing. Um, and I knew that I needed to start being able to scale myself. And that meant, um, delegating more and more what I'm doing to other folks, right. And continuing to delegate and build out an, uh, a management layer essentially. Um, and so, uh, again, all, all these stories, there's so much luck at the same time as opportunity that comes along, you know, in your, in your career and your life. And I, I, I would have, I'm sure I would have at some point, um, figured out exactly who I needed to hire next. You know, I was always struggling. Do I need uh, to hire sales next or more or a manager, you know, for delivery maybe, or operations, you know, where do I, where do I sort of start to delegate myself? And, um, and the opportunity presented itself again. So my COO now, uh, Brian Albers, he had, he had um, been my partner contact and one of my partners. <laughs> and, and he reached out and said, um, hey, I'd love to, I see what you're doing, love what you're doing, I'd love to join you. And I said, I said, well, I don't really need a partner you know, function in my small company right now. And he said, no, 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 not that, operations. I, you know, let me be your operations. Uh, I said, oh, that, that'd be perfect. That's exactly, you know, then it all kind of fell in place in my head real quick. I'm like, you're right, that would, that would mean I don't have to do invoice anymore. That would mean, you know, invoicing, I would uh, get help hiring. I would, you know, all these operational things I needed to do and realized I could focus much more on delivery and sales if I could, you know, offload all my operations. And so that's how it started. And since then, just been able to hire an entire leadership team to, you know, we, we have a head of delivery, head of marketing, head of sales now and operations. So um, I have now fully um, scaled myself. It feels like at this point, I, I really just focus on brand awareness, 
um, face of the company, you know, customer success and, and understanding, you know, major customer relationships, things like that. I want to ask about the first couple of hires that you made. Um, how did you uh, decide on the individual? What were you looking for for that? Even the first hire? Yeah, you know, I probably no matter what company anybody's starting, if you're bootstrapping it, you're leveraging your own network, right? For everything. And uh, I mean, I leveraged my network um, for hiring, for sales. Uh, you know, that's how I found quite a few of my first clients was just going out and um, and actually reconnecting with a bunch of Salesforce executives who had now gone off and started their own companies or were CEOs of other companies now or, or leaders at other companies because Salesforce is just such a large you know, sort of training ground for executives is one way to think about it. Uh, so anyway, but for hiring, I also had worked with folks, you know, at Salesforce and um, I reached out to some of the folks I really knew they were strong, already knew they were strong data engineers, knew they were great to work with. And so I found a few of those, those kind of folks and hired them. And uh, the second thing I did to find more people was uh, I was looking for I mean, I had to be scrappy, right? And and I I couldn't afford, especially Bay Area prices for a, a senior data engineer. I couldn't afford that. Uh, um, so I I would find people that were in data programs, so data certifications is what I'm trying to say, like certification programs. People are trying to switch careers and get into data from other areas, accounting, even sales, um, marketing, all all sorts of areas, uh, teaching, you know, other. Um, the military and so forth. And so um, though, that was great because these certifications, people would go through six months of some training on uh, you know a little bit of everything and become a generalist in data. And then I could teach them specifically the tools that we worked in and uh, get them up to speed to be a more of a mid-level data engineer. And then from there, they were off to the races. So there's got to be a lot of trust then in that first um, couple of employees that, you know, because at a, at a startup level, you know, it, it could all fall over right away. So I guess, how did you encourage that trust? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I I just kind of had to. I think it was, I think there wasn't a choice there. Um, I, I just, I chose people that I thought were going to be trustworthy from the beginning, have consulting skills, um, you know, we'll all be aligned. We all think, you know, enough enough of the same way that we will be able to make sure a client is successful kind of no matter what it takes the the, the qualities i was always looking for perseverance and collaboration um kind of folks that's just kind of consulting in a nutshell anyway um we actually made those our company values uh it, it, later on and so i just found i think found those people that i could work with well and um i knew we we're gonna do a good job and so it, it just happened i i don't think i ever had a big problem at all with trust with an employee or, or two-way trust um, I was still involved with most projects too, although, yeah, maybe at 10 people, yeah, I started to, um, maybe I was just checking in, you know, every few days and, and my employees were doing most of the implementation, but yeah, I, I just, that wasn't a huge problem or anything, uh, to overcome. Okay. So you, you say you, you, made uh, company values. That's interesting. So at what point did you realize you needed to do that? And then how did you actually create like come up with those values yeah I, I sat down this was about three years ago so we were about maybe 20 20 to 30 people somewhere in there 25 and um uh i think you know again as soon as i i kind of waited until we had this management layer we were 
starting to build a management layer and have um, have more of a quote real company uh, in place. I think then I, that's when I finally started to to want to document some of the stuff and put together a little more of a formal you know val, uh, mission vision and values kind of a statement as well as a go to market strategy. And so I just sat down and thought, well, okay, you know, kind of back to your question about who would you hire the who was your first hire and why'd you hire him? It's the I was thinking about what qualities do I want in our culture? You know, what qualities do I want in the people that are going to be part of this culture? Well, uh, you know, I, I want them to be um, again perseverant. I think that was so important. You know, in, in consulting, if you can't figure out a problem today, it doesn't mean you just drop it and say, "I can't figure it out. I don't know what to do." You you keep going until you find the answer. I, I don't care what it takes, right? You, that's networking, talking to other people, research, training, but you got to find an answer to a client's um, problem. So perseverance was really important. Collaboration. I always just, I've, I'm a big collaborator, always love working in collaborative environments. I want a data climber to be very collaborative. So I just thought that was a really good value for people to, to, to live by. Um, trust and transparency, though, those are both values at the company. And we split them apart because they're slightly different, but, you know, transparency is all about just always just being transparent, telling the truth about what, you know, whether it's good or bad or ugly or beautiful, <laughs> you know, um, that's always the best answer uh, in, in life and, and, and in business. And then um, if you are transparent, that builds trust, right? And trust, to your, to your earlier question, you know, trust is so pervasive everywhere you go, not only in your uh, employee and management relationships or peer-to-peer -peer relationships at a company, but with your customers. Uh, trust is so important. I mean, at Salesforce, trust was the number one value of the company because Salesforce had to had to um, spearhead trust in the cloud. You know, data in the cloud—that was their bit. They spent ten years getting convincing the world to trust their data in the cloud. So that's why trust was so important to them. Um, but I, I also felt like super important for us as well um, because we really needed client trust, and it's the same thing. Like clients are hiring us. Uh, we're not cheap, you know, and it's basically like hiring a data team and then trusting that we're going to implement, you know, the, what we say we're going to implement and do it right um, the first time, which is what we say we'll do. Um, so those are the those are the big values. Uh, diversity is another one. So I just sat down and again and thought about what who are the people I want to work with, what do I want them to be like, and came up with the values that way. You want to tell the audience more about your service offerings um, and where they can reach you. The problem we're solving is uh, enabling, or you know, the problem is not having data fast enough to answer questions at the speed of the business. So think about a leadership team, or you know, really anybody at a company, just having a question: Hey, how many customers are like X? Or what's the lifetime value of our customer? Or you know, in marketing, what's the what's the ROI of this campaign today? Or you know, what what things are working, what's not? And being able, to, if you can't answer that in the same day or in the same hour as you're asking the question, so you can get an answer, make a decision and move on and improve the business, that's a problem. And, and in fact, if you can't make those decisions quickly, what happens is often most of those, most of those decisions get made without any kind of data because it too, takes too long to get the data and you got to make a decision and, and do something with your business. So it's that speed of decision-making or the lack thereof, that's the problem. So we solve that because <clears throat> we implement, uh, a modern cloud data stack. And if you do it right, um, you really centralize all the data you have in your company in one place. That's because you never know what question you're going to ask of the data. And if it's not all in the same place, it's going to take forever to get an answer. So it goes back to that speed question. That's why you want it all in the same place. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, right now, uh, I want to know 
from my, uh, we use HubSpot as our CRM. So I want to know who are our top 10 customers, which I'm going to get most of that information from HubSpot. Um, but I also want to know how many hours we build against those customers, right? Those clients in the past year or, or lifetime or whatever it is. Well, that comes from another system, right? Harvest we use to track hours. So that's two different SaaS applications I'm using to run my company. There's about 20 or 30 others as most companies have. And in fact, as you get larger, you, you've got a hundred SaaS applications running your company. So all those are data sources, right? Your marketing apps are data sources as well, your email marketing um, and, and so forth. So uh, if I want to see my 360 degree view of my customer in a really quick you know, report or ad hoc, just question if I'm saying, hey, I wonder how many customers we have, you know, what are our top 10, 10 customers on the East Coast by number of hours that we've spent with them in the last six months? I could answer that, answer that self-service in 10 minutes or five minutes, I've got a great solution, right? So that's, that's what we're providing as a, as a data warehousing solution that is self-service for almost anybody and, uh, and helps people make daily decisions with data. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask about the marketing side. So when, when you were first marketing your business, how did you develop sort of how you would go into market? Yeah. So, you know, because I started with a partner, right, with Looker, um, I continued that strategy. And to this day, our partner channel is still uh, it's uh, being eclipsed by a, a by a direct channel, but it's still probably our biggest channel. Um, and so the, 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 that was the strategy, right? So we built up relationships with key partners. Um, Looker, Snowflake is our is our one of our key data warehouse partners um, and and Sigma is another BI tool, uh, data platform as well, Matillion um, and so forth. These are all, you know, either data warehouses or ETL tools or BI tools. But what the point is, they, they all have to be put together to form a solution. So we partnered with best in class solutions out there, full cloud, you know, uh, next gen, very modern. And we would um, really, the only marketing we would do is partner marketing. So we would, we would collaborate with them on webinars, case studies, um, but really, you know, that channel, they're doing the, the heavy lifting on the sales and marketing end, really, right? So they're usually bringing us into leads that are already qualified and well along the way in the sales process, um, because that's when the, the conversation comes up of, of, oh, okay, if we implement this system, we need help. Who can help us? Partner will bring us in because they know we're trusted and we understand their technology and we're certified and trained and the whole thing. Um, so for a long time, didn't need a lot of marketing. Um, when I got to, we got to be about 20 people, I started to try to do more prospecting. And I, at first I thought it was marketing kind of campaigns. And later, I think I've been convinced that it's more of sales uh, campaigns, but we would send out, you know, a lot, do a lot of email and LinkedIn kind of um, prospecting. And I guess because it was more specifically prospecting, it wasn't just blanket blanket um, brand awareness, let's say. Um, but I did do that, hired somebody who could help me just do some basic marketing like that, marketing and sales, uh, build a new website, things like that. Um, and then it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that we hired our first, our head of marketing, which is our first full-time marketing person. And he's hired several people since then. So now we're doing the, the wide, a wide gamut of marketing um, activities. Yeah, I, I love that. So you, you grew into marketing. You didn't sort of rely on it as a crutch when you were starting. You used it as an expansion measure. I, I basically had to think through the whole go-to-market strategy. I'd put that together myself, and then I'd put together all the collateral. I did, you know, I did it all myself for years and years. So 
did all that basic stuff, but it was all through the partner channel and all specifically for partner marketing. Same thing with sales. So sales, that was our sales channel. Last question before we get to the second section um, is how, as a CEO, do you view your role? Do, are you main, it sounds like you're really a salesperson, whether you're selling an employee to work at the company and selling the vision of the future or talking to a client and really being that salesperson, the closer almost. So is that how you sort of see your role? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not directly involved in the sales process only occasionally now. So, um, our sales team does, does all of the actual selling and closing, but yes, always be selling. So I, my job really now is brand awareness, uh, and is customer relationships. So I want to, I want to maintain relationships with, you know, as many customers as I can. Um, and, and that's not only to keep that relationship positive and, you know, ensure we have long-term relationships and long-term business, but, you know, also to get feedback and understand the market and understand where it's going and make sure we have the right fit for the market in general, um, and just really listen to our customers. So that's my main role is actually, I'd say listening to customers as well as brand awareness, um, and being the face of the company. Awesome. Well, thank you, Aaron. And, and for the viewers, we're now going to switch into the second portion of the podcast. So this is um, this is going to be on Apple Podcasts. It's going to be exclusively available there. So let's get started.